As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, June 17th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we have some overreaction theater. Is it really that bad in Detroit as the Tigers go through their rebuild? Coming off a 13-0 loss on Wednesday, it seems like they're at a low point in their 2022 season. But let's take a step back. We'll talk about the, the long-term efforts that are made in Detroit and how it's going overall. We'll take a look at some other bottom feeder teams. I promise it'll be exciting because we'll dig into young players that have been called up. We'll talk about some pleasant surprises on those teams, and we'll talk about a few possible trade chips on those teams throughout that conversation. And Keith has updated rankings for the 2022 MLB draft. So I've got at least one question about a player who's pretty high on that list. But let's start with the Tigers, Keith, it is a relative low point, but we're talking about a multi-year rebuild, right? So are things really as bad for the Tigers as they seem at this moment here in mid-June? If they're really this bad, it's for some different reasons than I think what folks might expect. Like I am seeing sentiment on social media that First of all, I think people are blaming A.J. Hinch. I don't think this really has anything to do with him. I've said before, I think A.J. Hinch is a good manager. I've known him for a very long time because he used to scout. I used to see him on the road all the time. I I don't think anybody's winning with this roster. I think the biggest problem, the two biggest problems they've had are the group of pitchers, the three pitchers in particular, around whom it seemed they were building, uh, is really not panning out. Casey Mize. Now is undergoing Tommy John surgery, probably the worst timing imaginable, right? We'd, I doubt we see him until 2024 at this point. I mean, maybe, maybe he comes back for some relief appearances next September or something. There's nothing meaningful coming from him until 24. And Matt Manning, uh, Casey Mice was the first overall pick. Matt Manning was the ninth overall pick in his draft class. And the Tigers had actually, I thought, done some pretty good work with him to turn him from both one to turn him from a multi-sport athlete who was not that good of a pitcher. He had a great arm and he was very athletic, but he was not a very good pitcher until the Tigers started to do some work with his delivery and 
improved his extension, improved his breaking ball. Uh, and also he overcame, he kind of, not long after he got drafted, it looked like he had the yips too. And they got him through that. So they had done some pretty good work, but Manning is just plagued by shoulder problems these last two years now. And I don't know what the, if there's an underlying cause, but when you're trying to build a pitching staff around three guys and two of them are just hurt, they're just unavailable at this point. Um, you know, that's, you're going to be bad, right? That's just going to set your whole timetable back. And then on top of that, and I've had, I've written this, I was actually just talking to a, a longtime executive yesterday uh, about this because we, it's funny, the Tigers just sort of randomly came up as we were just, we were mostly talking about the draft. And um, one of our topics of conversation was that outside of their first round picks, Tigers have done pretty well first round picks last six, seven, eight years. After that, though, it's been a much more mixed bag maybe to the negative side. So I you know, I think ultimately, if this rebuild doesn't pan out, it'll be more than anything because they didn't get enough prospects. Right? They just did not build enough from within. They did not get enough of those guys in lit with later draft picks. They have not developed enough of those prospects through international scouting, uh, through international free agency, and they haven't gotten enough of those guys through trades. And if you look at successful rebuilds, generally they get players from all of those places, prospects who become the next core. And look at what it, what is the core? What's the projected core now for this Tigers team? It's some first round picks, and obviously they've got grabbed a couple guys from free agency. Yeah, not a lot else. The challenging thing too is it just takes a while to get the infrastructure in place for player development to hit on more of those late draft picks and to find mm-hmm. value that way and i i don't even know how from the outside i could even guess whether or not they've done enough to put the infrastructure in place maybe that's something where you know some of the hires they've made and maybe you're familiar with some of those people and you can get a better sense for whether or not that will change in the next couple of years but looking at how their prospects stack up to other organizations prospects we're not seeing the results of that yet if that is in place i think that is definitely a concern i, I think anytime you look at a team's group of prospects obviously we haven't seen riley green yet we'll probably see riley green in a few weeks or at least before the end Seems of the like season it. he should be fingers up. crossed right, he'll be up spencer torkelson it's been a rough you know, 50-ish game stretch to start his big league career. It's a tough leap. Mm-hmm. I like that they're being patient with him. I hope they stay patient with him. I think about, for years, looking at clusters of prospects when an organization has, usually it's three. I don't know why they come in threes, but they often come in threes. Three pitching <laughs> prospects they expect to all hit around the same time. Mm-hmm. Usually, one gets hurt. One is not the player they expected, and the third doesn't hit his ceiling even though there's almost a consensus sort of belief that, yeah, these are the three best or three best pitchers in the organization and the three of their five best prospects overall. And they've got multiple pitches and they've got velo and they've got command. All the scouting reports are glowing and it just doesn't work that way. No matter how, like how good those players are supposed to be. It's such a tough way to go in the rebuild to expect all three of those guys to hit and maybe Casey Mize comes back late 2023, early 2024 and gets back on track. That's possible. But Manning is starting to feel like a miss. Like that's a, a fair thing to say at this point. And fortunately for them, Tarek Skubal is starting to look like a very good big league starter. If he's not an ace, that's fine. But he looks like a success story. And they definitely needed at least one out of that group, given that they've had so many injury issues with the other two. 
Yes. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, actually. Um, I Manning was not... Manning's such an interesting one. I would not, especially now that this is a, this is a bit of hindsight, but I've, I've really changed my view quite a bit in how I rank players, uh, how I rank high school pitchers. They took him ninth. I have, I wrote in the inside game. I have said this in multiple other places. First round high school pitchers are just a very bad bet. Uh, and if you look at my rankings, my draft rankings the last couple of years, I just don't have any high school pitchers in the top 15, the top half of the first round, uh, because that's where the risk is. That's where the opportunity cost is highest because high school pitchers just fail at higher rates, particularly those drafted very high. And Manning was, Probably the quote unquote, I'm, I'm like scare quoting myself here, but the worst kind of high school pitcher to take in the first round because he was really raw. He had great arm strength. He was up to 98. I saw him uh, pitching in outside Sacramento in high school. Athletic as hell. Basketball scholarship to Loyola Marymount. He loved what he could be. It was a huge projection in both senses. Huge because he's big, but also huge because you're looking so far ahead. You think the ceiling's high, but to get mm-hmm. from here to there it's going to take a long long way to get there it seemed like they did a lot of good stuff with him to the point where it's oh hey this guy looks like he's actually turned into a really elite pitching prospect and then he gets hurt did they do anything to cause this shoulder stuff i really doubt it um and i don't think they ever overpitched him i don't really think it look if there's a mechanical thing i'm not a mechanics expert but i've never seen anything myself i've not heard this from anybody else it just seems like a lot of bad luck. And yet at the same time, I go back to, well, it's freaking high school pitchers, man. Mm-hmm. You just can't take them in the first round, or at least not high. Now, like this year, and we'll talk about this year's draft a little bit later. This year's draft is so bad on the pitching side, that calculus might change a little bit, where it might make some more sense to take high school pitchers, relatively speaking. Uh, but in that, in Manning's draft class and most draft classes, yeah, you shouldn't, you sure as heck shouldn't be taking them in the top 10 because the opportunity cost is way too high. There was some other player available at Manning's pick, probably multiple other players who maybe didn't quite have Manning's potential very high ceiling, but offered a much better balance of risk and reward. And I think teams that tried to rely too much on high school pitching for a rebuild are going to end up regretting it I mean, even the astros who had a great rebuild got they won a world series they have continued to be competitive despite turning over a lot of the roster twice they went for a high school pitcher in the first round brady aiken obviously a very anomalous physical issue never even signed and forrest whitley still hasn't made the majors and for brady aiken was i thought the best prospect in that draft class forrest whitley a top 10 prospect in all of baseball the two of them have combined for zero major league innings so far. Forrest Whitley, I mean, you talk about ceiling on ceiling on ceiling. He had it. Mm-hmm. And and maybe maybe it's still possible. And maybe it is still possible for Manning with health. I think it's just that uh, accumulation of injuries that has really kind of lowered my expectations for him, especially from a, a volume perspective. But I think all that lost time is going to make it harder for him to reach the ceiling that everybody thought he was going to hit. It's pretty remarkable when you look at a team like Houston and you see Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia and Christian Javier and Jose Urquidy as their four starters behind Justin Verlander, who they traded for late in his career after his value seemingly had dipped, right? Late career Verlander. There were some questions around that time about whether or not he was still going to be anywhere near as good as he has been in the time that he's been in Houston. The question, I think, from a, a giraffe perspective and a 
international signing perspective too, I guess, is how much does ceiling even matter when we're talking about 17 and 18 year olds? It might not matter because so much can go wrong between here and there. Maybe looking for floor or looking for other traits in pitchers that young is actually more important than scouting for ceiling. I think that the pro the way that teams get into trouble particularly with taking high school pitchers in the first round, although this could apply to other classes of players as well, is they overweight the probability of the ceiling and underweight the problem, one, the probability of just outright failure of a zero return, but also of other outcomes, right? This is this, I mean, and I, I am not going to sit here and tell you I have the solution. I, I'm simply saying, I think this approach that we can, we can impute as an outsider that some teams are overweighting those upsides, overweighting the probability that the players they take, especially in the first, let's say first and second rounds, beyond that, the opportunity cost drops so so low that it's much less of an issue. If it's the third round, you want to take the best high school pitcher on the board and pay him, go for it. You're not pa- probably not passing up on a superstar there, but you might be in the first round. Um, it's just... You've got to look. I, I'm I'm like a broken record here, but this is the base rate. I was just having this conversation with a, a, a an agent for a player. I won't give any details because it would probably reveal who the player was. But essentially defending why I have his player ranked where I do, and it's because the base rate of players like him is so low. And that is the issue with high school pitchers. They fail a lot. And it really – you can point to, hey, Dylan Lesko pre-Tommy John surgery – he was the best high school pitching prospect in maybe 10 years. Giolito, Bundy. It's been a long freaking time since I've seen anybody like him. And yet, I mean, he blew out before the draft, so we sort of already know, right? Mm-hmm. But that's, they do. They just do. They just fail. They get hurt at higher rates. They fail at higher rates. And a lot of it is just because simply the ones who go to college, like a lot of them get hurt slash fail while in college, and then we just don't ever talk about them again. It's like they they just stopped existing for us. It's like Fredo, right? He's dead to me. <laughs> so the I can make that joke now. I've seen that movie. And so with the high, the teams that focus on high school pitchers, I think just often think, well, this guy's going to be an rotation. This guy's going to be an rotation. He's a two starter. He's a three starter. Rather than thinking, kind of what you just said, right? You get three or more, a group of three or more pitching prospects. One really works out like you think. One turns out to be, you know, his 50th percentile outcome, and the other one just never, never makes it. Actually, I would argue that's probably a pretty good result if you have three highly touted pitching prospects you took out of high school. Like, yours is okay. Mm-hmm. The problem is you end up in a situation often where, you know, one ends up a fourth starter, one ends up the last guy in your bullpen, you're deciding between him and the position player to pitch. See, I'm bringing it back to the Tigers there. That's <laughs> well done. Thank you. And the other guy is never heard from again. It's just, it is, I mean, we could go back through the Marlins had a year where they drafted something like four high school pitchers, all pretty high. All were really good. They weren't all the same either. They tried to sort of mix up types, maybe as a way to diversify the portfolio, and it still produced nothing. It's just the nature of the beast. And teams that try to build around that too much are just putting themselves at too much risk of a failure. And, and I mean, we're drawing a big conclusion here, largely about Matt Manning, right? I don't, I'm not saying that is the only reason for the Tigers failure, but I do think it's illustrative. Here's a guy who 
had all the athleticism in the world and he had the arm strength and the Tigers seemed to do a few things right with him on the player development side and it still didn't work out. The last Tigers question for this episode mm-hmm. is, are they really that far away from where you thought they were long term? The Javier Baez signing, the Eduardo Rodriguez signing, we haven't really seen that pay off yet either. Uh, Rodriguez is away from the team right now for a personal matter. Baez hasn't done much yet and we, we know that it's it's a high risk high reward sort of profile and the first two and a half months of a long-term deal don't give you an accurate forecast of what's to come necessarily so it's gone about mm-hmm. as poorly as it could go from a, the perspective of rodriguez not even being there because of an injury and now a personal matter and then baez being the bad version of baez so far yes yep Agreed with all of that. It's interesting because coming into the season, I predicted both the Tigers and the Royals would finish under 500. And fans of both were fans of Tigers, the, of the Tigers were probably more vociferous in their dissent. Um, but generally, the reaction was, what the hell are you talking about? We're good now. And particularly the Tigers, because they would, right? The Torkelson was there. Green is close. Hey, we got the three pitchers. We went out, we got Baez, we got Rodriguez. What's your problem, essentially? Look, look at all the stuff we did. And to me, it was they're, – they're worse than I projected. Their winning game, their, their winning percentage now is, I think, quite a bit worse than what I had forecasted for them for the season because more things have gone wrong. Yep. I just sort of figured a typical number of things would go wrong. Way more things have gone wrong than that. I don't think this necessarily sets back the long-term – prognosis for the rebuild it might you know losing mice hurts but as you said of the three guys one of those wasn't going to pan out right right now they're just looking at maybe two don't pan out but i still have some hope maybe mice comes back supposedly mice's elbow had been bothering him for a little while so maybe he comes back and he's better yeah just because the, the thing that had been bothering him for a long time is finally just cleaned up it could be the it'll certainly be the best as ucl has been in several years the prognosis for the rebuild was always a bit muted because of all these things we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes, right? The, the other things they haven't done well, not you just rattled off four pitchers in the Houston rotation. Who I believe were all acquired through international free agency. Where are those guys on the tigers? Where are the guys they picked up in trades who are going to be hugely helpful to the rebuild? They're not there. So I, I look at that rebuild as this team is going to get better. They will almost certainly be better next year than they are this year. Pretty good chance they'll be better a year after that. By that point, you think Torkelson and Green are established in the lineup, and maybe Jackson Job is banging on the door at that point. But this team wasn't headed for 95 wins, not with what they had in the system and the acquisitions that they made, the free agents that they signed this winter. Yeah, I think the expectations got a little unfairly high because of overachieving last season, right? The win total came out a little better than expected a season ago, and I think that led some fans to say, hey, we made some moves, and Austin Meadows... Still looking for his first home run of the season. I actually like that trade for the Tigers. I thought that would be a, yeah. a pretty smart yeah. move, and it could still it could still pay off. There's still plenty of time for that. He hasn't been very good. Jammer Candelario has taken a step back. I just thought he was a solid, everyday guy. I didn't really think he was a superstar, or even an above-average regular, but he's been pretty bad this year. Akil Badu got the quick demotion to Toledo. So some of the things that went right last year, Robbie Grossman has been a well-below-average player, even if he's more of a true fourth outfielder. yeah. But he hasn't even been that. So they have had that extra wave of things go wrong on top of a few big things. And anyway, can we talk about, by the way, just the I just pulled up their stats on baseball reference. 
these are batting averages. Batting average is deeply flawed. Actually, I could go through on base percentage, but I'm going to use batting average because I just think it's a little more familiar to people. These are batting averages of players who are currently regulars. Um, 178, 190, 188, 181, 199. I, I feel like that's not good. No, and I know league-wide we've talked about it. The The ball has wreaked some havoc on teams, but just from a how's everyone else doing perspective, WRC Plus, very helpful. The Tigers have a 70 WRC Plus as a team. That means they are 30% worse than a league it's average bad. offense. They're worse than Oakland by almost 10%. Oakland, who has, I'm sorry, Oakland, but Oakland is not trying. They really do not seem to be trying. You are trying. Detroit. You are trying. You have a team on base percentage of 276. Yeah. You are trying, and it's still not working. I will forgive Oakland, the team, and the coaching staff, everything. They're just not trying. They're not spending. They you know, they traded their two, right, their two best players. Would we agree? Their two best players they traded for prospect packages. Uh, and, and there's going to be more, right? Then they traded one of the pitchers, one of their two highly tradable pitchers. The other one's going to be traded. I still think Sean Murphy's going to get traded at some point. Shea Langoliers is just right there waiting at some point. Why would you not trade Sean Murphy? Because if you're in this mode and you're just saying, well, anything that's not nailed down is up for sale at this point. You should be able to get a King's ransom for that guy. Yeah, the A's still have players to trade. I think when I look at the Tigers, I don't I don't really see guys on the big league roster that are going to bring back much that they would actually want to move. Grossman, you know, again, could be a bench outfielder for a contender. If people believe he's the guy that he was before this season, I think there's teams out there that would make a move like that. Maybe Michael Fulmer, Andrew Chafin, a couple relievers get traded for the most part. This is kind of where they're going to be. The A's, you know, we've talked about Frankie Montas a handful of times in the show. He's probably getting Mm -hmm. traded and he's not just a rental. So I think that opens up even more teams that might be interested in him. I thought Murphy would be gone before opening day just because if you're going to trade Olsen and you're going to trade Chapman, you might as well trade Murphy too. You get his replacement back. That was the biggest mm-hmm. thing for me is like Langoliers is a year away and very skim- similar skill set to Murphy. You know, premium defensive catcher who can throw. Murphy throws better, but I mean, Murphy's among the best at that. Um, who has power and probably isn't going to hit for a lot of average. They're very similar. And so and I'm, no knock against Sean Murphy here. It is just more his, you know, he plays for Oakland. They're in, you know, sort of prospect maximization mode, right? They're just trying to, if you, if that's what you're trying to do is we're just going to get the next big group of prospects and try to build for three years down the road. And I know their fans hate it. Uh, and frankly, I'm sure the front office isn't happy about it, that that's the dictum coming down. But guess what? This is what we're doing. Great. Murphy's the, in some sense, Murphy's the guy you want to trade almost sooner because he has so much more value because he has years and years of control ahead of him. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a really good point. I, th- I think when I look at this A's team, you and I talked about Christian Bettencourt getting opportunities probably six weeks or so. I think he's just hit constantly since then. From that day <laughs> forward, the, hey, why is this guy good playing on us. this team? He's been amazing yep. at, at, relative to expectations, You're at welcome. least. So, yeah, we woke up Christian Bettencourt. Who should we wake up next? Can we fix Kevin yeah. Smith? They optioned him down, which yes, it, it, it wasn't without cause, but at the same time, Okay, you bring up Jonah Bride, who on paper looks a little bit interesting, but at the same time, I have so much more faith in Kevin Smith being a long-term everyday big leaguer than I do Jonah Bride. Why not let Kevin Smith figure it out since he really did seem to solve AAA a season ago? Maybe this is a quick demotion. Yeah, there's no – to me, there's very very little benefit to doing that with 
honestly, with any prospect who's already spent the full year at AAA and had success, unless you think it is a, uh, I'm trying to think of how Seattle's phrased it, but kind of like a mental reset when they've had Jared Kalanick go down. You know, I think the way that they've talked about him publicly, I'm interpolating a little bit where they've, you know, Jared's really hard on himself and just let him go down, catch his breath for a little bit, have some success. We'll bring him back. They did that last year and it looked like he was better and then turned around. Obviously, it has not carried over to this year. I don't know if that's the case with Kevin Smith. We've seen a handful of these guys, a handful of prospects come up, not had the best, you know, 40, 50 games to start their seasons, start their big league careers. So they get sent back down. Is that really what's you know, what's happening here? Is this just a reset? Is it a, sometimes I wonder if these demotions are a little bit punitive and like, Hey, you're making some bad swing decisions up there. We got to change that because Smith was not making bad decisions, swing decisions at AAA last year comes to the majors and suddenly is making a lot of uh, much worse swing decisions. Go back to AAA and just again, hit the reset button. Flip side is you go back to AAA and guess what? Yeah. The pitching's not yeah. as good. Are you really learning anything? I expect anytime somebody says to me, oh, so-and-so is really mashing in AAA, he's already been in the big leagues, right? That's like, I'm trying to think of what the what the real-life comparison is for that. It's just so much easier once you've already faced the tougher. It's why, why do hitters go up sometimes and swing bats with donuts or even swing two bats, right? Because then when you go back to swinging one bat, it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what that, that's like. You go back to AAA and you're not facing major league pitching anymore. Oh, hey. I can hit this. It's like uh, if I drop in and play in an over 40 soccer game, I'm mm-hmm. the fastest guy on the field all of a sudden, even though yeah. I'm never the fastest player on the field. Then I go 40. Uh, I'm a little under 40. I was going to say that's cheating. Right. right. You're right. like a ringer at that. point. Yeah, you're right. It's like, well, we're short a guy and you got a little gray hair. So why don't you just come out and just slow it down a little bit and you can come play. And, you know, I put a couple yeah. goals in there, go back to my team and I'm, I'm crap. Right. Complain about the price of gas um, and how, what it used to be <laughs> right. back in the day. And then, oh, yeah, he's 40. Clearly. Yep. That's yeah. kind of the, the script as you as you walk up and introduce yourself. But yep, it's the Jaron Duran problem. It's the same kind of thing with Kevin Smith. This yes. guy is like yeah. in the difference is Boston playing for now you know they have a tougher decision to make i think with the a's as soon as kevin smith shows signs of getting right at triple a he's back up and great that's a great like that is the perfect perfect player to talk about and perfect comparison of two situations so you get murphy you can trade you got ramon laureano you can trade you got frankie montas you can trade and i think once you think about the prospect returns for that group of players the system that oakland has which is they're playing more of a volume game in a lot of these returns that's probably a better collection of prospects after those extra trades are made than what the Tigers have right now, even though the A's do not have a Riley Green type player. They don't have anyone quite at that level coming up. I think the overall collection of players that the A's have might have better depth as a as a result of trades they have not made yet. So I think if I had to project a long-term future right now i'm actually a little more confident in oakland because of these remaining trade ships and what they're likely to return yeah they could be nobody wants to hear this right i i know oakland fans do not want to hear this i'm pretty good shape actually for the long term it could be really ugly this year next year the year after even but they did really well in the olsen trade i didn't like the chapman trade as much but honestly chapman also had been coming off a little bit of a down year and i think that we just sort of disagree on the value of a couple of the prospects so it's fine you know, they do this with, and I think they define the Manaya trade. 
They'll trade Montes. They'll trade Murphy. They'll probably do something creative to flip a reliever for something of value because they've got a pretty. You know, this group's been there a long time. They do have a history of doing that, and they have a really good history. The the sort of un, less discussed part of Oakland's sustained success is that they're pretty good at taking guys from other organizations who've like, flopped or people have given up, and waiting on them because they can't right you could just play christian pache and give him a thousand at bats the next two years and say yeah we don't care if he hits now we don't it doesn't matter his defense keeps makes him valuable enough to just stay in the big leagues and he'll continue to grow and develop and that's i know i I, from having spoken to them that's kind of their belief on pache and maybe that'll be the thing with kevin smith maybe it'll be that with several of these other players or they'll pick up some twice failed prospect from other organizations and find something, or even if it's just a matter of giving him, giving a player an opportunity with no pressure. Hey, you're not, no matter what you do, you're you're still on this team. You're not, you know, we don't care if you give up, if you're giving up a running inning for the next couple of weeks, it doesn't matter because we're not trying to win. There is a benefit to not trying to win. I don't think the fans particularly enjoy that. No, no, not when prices go up too. It's it's not too bad. (laughs) Yeah, right. No, definitely not. The uh, the Clint Frazier to Oakland rumor uh, that is hanging like a cloud over Twitter every day. It makes so much sense. That's the kind of player that you could see landing in Oakland, playing every day and mm-hmm. getting to the good part of his skill set on a more consistent basis without the how much am I going to play question kind of lingering. Because that's been part of the story with Clint Frazier pretty much ever since the Yankees acquired him from Cleveland. Yeah. Like they've, it's always been a, well, how much... How much playing time is Clint Frazier really going to get at the big league level? So as ugly as it looks on the surface, Oakland seems like they're in decent shape right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. We should talk about the Orioles. Adley Rutschman, mm-hmm. obviously up, kind of like Torkelson, just figuring it out very early in his big league career. Yeah. Nothing, I ain't worried. Yeah, nothing to worry about there. I would say Austin Hayes putting it all together is a, a nice surprise. I always mm-hmm. had tools, always shown combinations of interesting skills that now Sh- are Buck all there. buried that kid too. So it is nice to see, you know, good job by the new group there. Just let him play. You're in that situation, right? They're now getting more towards the point where they're going to try to win. But 
let them play. Some they play prospects do not always develop on our timetable. They develop on their timetable. And he maybe he just needed more of that time. He also had to get he had some injury stuff he had to get through too. It's just it makes me very happy to see this. Cedric Mullins, I think, is a pretty interesting player to talk about because mm-hmm. 2022 has not been an extension of, of 2021. He hasn't given everything back in terms of the underlying skills. One of the things that popped last year for Cedric Mullins was the barrel rate. 8.1% mm-hmm. barrel rate for a guy that was like 3% or lower in each of his first three stints in the big leagues. So a big mm-hmm. jump there, 6.7% this year. That's fine. That's a normal sort of drop off for a guy that unlocked something. But it's pretty bad on the surface. A 243, 302, 380 line so far. Six homers. He's tracking to be about a two and a half war player this year if you use Fangraph's war. A little below average in terms of WRC plus with that line. Again, adjusting for a gross 2022 season for the league as a whole. But do you see Mullins as someone that still has broad trade appeal? There are plenty of quality teams out there that need an upgrade in center field and you, know, you look at Mullins as a guy that broke out at a slightly older age. He's 27 already. And even though they'd have mm-hmm. Mullins on the roster through 2025, is this actually a window in the next six weeks where they would strongly consider trading him? Having not asked the front office, I would guess yes, because nothing against Mullins. I think the player you're seeing this year is closer to who he is really is like I, I don't expect to see more five he was close to six war last year my guess is when all said and done that's his peak year what we saw in 2021 but I think he'd be a two to three war player uh and I think in I think there would be pretty strong trade interest in him at what point are the Orioles going to be the team that says we're done we're, we're keeping our guys that's the one thing that makes me hesitate I just don't know that Mullins is actually under team control quite long enough for that to matter for them, I don't know what you know, he would be just exiting the club as they're getting to be really good. You know, 24, 25 is probably where we're talking about contention for them. So maybe there's enough of an overlap, but if they looked and said, if they could particularly get something key back in return, they could get something they really needed, probably pitching, right? This is the, you and I've had this conversation. I've had this conversation with, you know, Dan Connolly, our Orioles writer and other sites. The one problem that the Orioles have is that their rebuild has been extremely focused on position players. And you look at their farm system, it's very heavily skewed towards position players. Their best pitching prospect was Grayson Rodriguez. He's hurt. He's probably, we're probably not going to see him the rest of the season. If we see him in Camden at all, it's going to be September. I love DL Hall. I do think we'll see him in the majors soon, but he missed half of last year with an elbow issue. And below those guys, there's not much. So at some point, they're going to have to trade a couple of more pieces to get some additional pitching, to get some long-term pitching. Maybe Mullins is that guy. He might be the best candidate of trade candidates they have on the Major League roster right now, even though I know Orioles fans love him. They'd probably hate to see him go. But if he returns a pitcher or even two who can be part of the long-term staff there, particularly part of the rotation, it's really worth doing. Yeah, I think of of all the position players they would consider Mullins brings back the most by far because of being a guy that plays up the middle, plays well. Yep. Uh, what he did last year, showing that ceiling also, I think, mm-hmm. matters to a lot of teams. Sure. Maybe somebody thinks they can get him back. Right. Flashing well above average, flashing all-star potential like that for a full season. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. people are going to be excited. Plus, I mean, I know the the changes at Camden Yards, the way the ballpark was changed, had a greater impact on right-handed hitters or has had a greater impact on right-handed hitters so far 
it didn't have a zero impact on lefties, though. It still mm-hmm. mattered for them, too. So I think that has to be kind of brought into the conversation a little bit as you think about Mullins step back this year at the plate, too. Of the guys in this rotation right now, it's Jordan Lyles, Bruce Zimmerman, Tyler Wells, Dean Kramer's got a spot. Kyle Bradish, one of their younger pitchers that's getting a chance this season. How many of those guys do you think are in the rotation when the Orioles are playoff contenders again? Are any of those guys going to be long-term big league starters that this team could rely on? I don't think any of them is a top four starter. Could one of those, Dean Kramer, be the fifth starter for this club? Yeah, sure. Right, Teams do things with creative things with the fifth starter spot, cycle guys through there. You know, Bradish, uh, I just have a hard time seeing that delivery in a rotation, but I think he's value. I think he's a, he's definitely a prospect. Maybe he's more of a swing man or a spot starter. I don't think they're one through four currently on this club. I don't think Tyler Wells misses anywhere near enough bats. Poor Bruce Zimmerman gave up three home runs since we started this conversation. Jordan Lyles is just a filler. Fine. You know, he's actually been credible, I think. He's not been great, but he's been good enough at least to just, they needed somebody to take the innings, right? That The problem is, I don't see a full rotation in the system either. So at some point, they're going to have to get it from outside. You get it through free agency, you get it through trade. In, this, in their case, probably both. They're probably going to have to do a little bit of both because to get your four, the four starters for your contending rotation, you need to probably get five or six guys. And they have two. I think in Hall and Grayson Rodriguez, who I know Rodriguez is hurt. There doesn't seem to be any reason to think this is a long-term issue. They're just, it's going to take a long time for this lat strain to heal. Even if you just say that's your one and your two, your two and your one, your two and your three, you still need a couple more guys and they're going to have to somewhere go outside the organization to find them. Let's talk about the Royals for a bit. You brought them up, I think in passing a little earlier and like the Tigers, they they had higher hopes than what we've seen through the first half. I think there's still some things to like. I think Bobby Witt Jr., after a slow first month, is doing everything Bobby Witt Jr. should be doing. I think that's a really mm-hmm. encouraging sign. MJ Melendez looks great. A lot of hard contact, taking good plate appearances. And and you you saw him as a, as, a, as a prospect, but I'm surprised by the athleticism just relative to my expectations for someone who was a, a catching prospect, some playing in the outfield on, on a highlight reel, making a diving catch. And it's it's one of those things that I thought like, oh, well, maybe they maybe they can be more creative with how they use him if they want to keep catching Sal as much as they do. But all this is to say it's a longer term problem in Kansas City with the pitching. The group of position mm-hmm. players looks like it's headed in the right direction overall. Why is it not working out with young pitching for the Royals? I mean, if you ask people who follow the club, everyone's pointing at Cal Eldred, the major league pitching coach. I I don't know enough personally to say whether that's true or not. It is a little surprising to me as an outsider. God, they fired the hitting coach, but they didn't fire the pitching coach. It's sort of like we gave gave you all these arms, right? We We gave you a lot to work with. And they're all, nobody is breaking through. Even Daniel Lynch had gotten off to a good start. He's regressed. Brady Singer looked like he was a little bit better. I still think that guy's a reliever ultimately, but he, he hasn't taken the step forward. Jackson Cowers had a ton of trouble. They can't all fail. These guys were, it's not like these guys all got hurt. It's not like these guys got into the minors and they all stunk. Most of them were good all the way up through the minors. Um, Chris Bubich. These guys should have had some more success at the big league level now. And I think they're at the point where if you're in the front office, you're saying, you're saying we can't wait. We can't afford to to wait. Whatever 
the, when that many guys don't succeed, don't progress, it's a systemic issue. It has to, you, it's rare to be that unlucky. I'm not saying it's Cal Eldred. It's something. Something is amiss there. It's the pitching coach. It's the manager. It's something else. Somebody else who's working with these pitchers. But for whatever reason, they are not adequately, um, they're not ready to succeed in the majors the moment they come out of the minors. And whatever is being done to try to help them make adjustments and succeed, it's not working. And they, maybe they just need a different voice in there. But it is, it is extremely surprising to me. All of us... I think all of us who cover prospects, we all disagreed on which prospect in that group we liked the most, but we all agreed it was a good group of pitching prospects. And the fact that none of them has turned into a major league starter by now is really shocking and and, and disappointing. We're probably going to see at least one more prospect get a chance. Vinny Pasquantino seems like mm-hmm. is going to see the big leagues sooner rather than later. Carlos Santana's time in Kansas City probably nearing an end. Oh, my God. Right. How 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 is this still a thing? I don't even know if there's a lot of trade appeal or even if he became DFA'd released, if there would be other teams that look at him as someone they want to have on the roster at this stage of his career. Maybe someone would take the flyer, but there's no no certainty that he's going to help you in the second half of the season. So Pasquantino Mm -hmm. comes up, and I'm really curious to see how he hits against big league pitching. The depth of this system, in addition to the questions about their pitching development, because you look at the, I'm looking at the leaderboard just for minor league strikeouts for the Royals and just kind of an eyeball glance at the numbers, they're not good. Like they're missing bats, but the results are bad. And that's not Cal Eldred's fault also. Like it's not just Cal Eldred. At least it doesn't seem like it could only be your big league pitching coach when you're underperforming at basically every minor league level from a pitching perspective. Is the system depth good in Kansas City or is it a major problem on top of the pitching development concerns? I think the approach they've tried to take in especially last year where they went back to taking pounding high school pitching in the draft it worries me right that they did not have success with this before and again not about the specific guys that they took but they didn't have success with this before the base rate for these high school pitchers is pretty pretty poor they are bucking history, certainly. And so they, they, you know, they've had a, they've got a couple guys at the top of the system, obviously. And I'm, ca- would be counting Witt and Melendez here who are really good. Mm-hmm. The next group, uh, actually, it, this is probably the, the most politic and fair, you know, balanced way to say this. Their system is not good enough for them to be contenders if they don't get a couple of starters out of that 2018 draft that included Singer, Cower, Lynch, Bubich, Bolin. I'm forgetting somebody else. There's at least one more in that group. Point is made. They need at least two real big league starters out of that group. And they probably need three, especially if Asa Lacey, I mean, that, I don't know what happened. There was nothing wrong with that pick. I'm not criticizing any of those guys from 2018. I thought they did a, they did, they did a good job. They were, they picked the right guys. They got good value. They mixed up the types of guys that they got in that draft. And the fact that None of them has broken through is utterly shocking to me. Asa Lacey's a different, he's had physical issues too, health issues that are just, um, you know, arm health issues that I don't think anybody anticipated. I don't think anybody thought he'd have trouble throwing strikes, but you can put him in that bucket too. They got to get two or three big league starters out of that, or none of this other stuff is really going to matter at that point. It's going to be so hard for them to be contenders that way. One more team uh, I want to get to 
before we move on to the updated draft rankings, the Pirates. And they're going through that phase where they're starting to shuffle some of the prospects on to the roster. Tukapita Marcano, probably most recently, getting a regular opportunity. We're seeing a little bit of Jack Sawinski as well. The questions around this team are probably more about the the timing of when you start bringing in more of the young talent. O'Neill Cruz probably not far away, right? We'll see Henry Davis maybe a year from now. Is that an unrealistic expectation for for his timetable? Like I don't know. That seems somewhat aggressive. But they seem to have a clearer advantage over these other teams in terms of the prospects they have currently in their system. And many of those players are approaching being big league ready. So how much are we going to see this roster change between now and even August 1st as they probably make a few trades and shuffle a few more of these young players onto the roster? You got to figure Brian Reynolds gets traded at some point, right? There's just no point, no reason to keep him on the roster. Um, Henry Davis, I would love to see him up at this time next year. Uh, he did miss a couple of weeks with a minor wrist issue. He's back playing. Hopefully that doesn't end up holding him back. Obviously, I think he's the long-term catcher there. I, I really like the system. I like a lot of what they've done. It is, you know, Pirates fans don't want to be patient. They're also really mad at the owner at this point, justifiably so. It, he's not spending money on the big league roster. Um, they take, you know, they get a lot of revenue sharing and it's not showing up on the field. I completely understand that. I think this club's drafted pretty well. I think they've traded pretty well. The last couple of years, I think Ben Charrington inherited a good organization there, inherited a decent farm system, and has made it better. And they've dra- I really thought their draft, they had the most money. They had the first pick last year. They had some extra picks. They did a hell of a job. There's a lot of ability in the system now. There are some challenges, but I, I like the direction that they're going in. I could see this club being the major league roster looking very different on July 1st of next year. And I could see them being better, more interesting, not a contender. But a lot more interesting to watch. Just think of the of the six divisions you could be in trying to compete on a limited budget uh, and, and turn things around quickly. The NL Central might be the best one to be in right now. Mm-hmm. It's probably yeah. the, the quickest path to either winning the division or at least winning enough games to be in playoff contention, which just a couple of years ago seemed like a, a complete myth to talk about that for the Pirates. Uh, as far as the trade pieces go, other than Reynolds... I don't know if I see anybody they would willingly trade who would bring back a lot. I think the question would be, are they going to trade David Bednar, one of their controllable relievers? That that would probably mm-hmm. be the, the other guy they could move and get something pretty good back in the return. Yes. Yep. I, it's the kind of move they should be making, right? Anything... They got a bunch of guys like that who are valuable big league players who are just not going to be part. This Pirates team is probably not going to be a real contender for two to three years. Three is probably more realistic. I'd like to think it's, you know, hopefully getting Cruz there and getting Davis there. They can speed things up a little bit. But realistically, you know, Reynolds, Bednar, they're not part of that group. And I, one other thing, too, is like figuring out what Mitch Keller is like his his development was not helped by the. Pre- That's one guy where I look at the previous organizations say. You failed that kid because we all saw huge, huge ability. We saw some of the flaws and the adjustments he needed to make. It, it's just he is exactly the same guy now that he was when I saw him in double A. It's going to be like four years ago now, three years ago, maybe. It was pre-pandemic, certainly, and said, I love the raw material here. I love the ingredients here. You could see this guy being a pretty high-end pitcher. 
but he needs to do X, Y, Z. He's done none of those things. I don't know. Maybe the pirates are just looking. Maybe he can't. Maybe the pirates new group is looking and saying it's too late. I can't imagine that, but that is a, that is a ton of ability that has turned into zero major league value. Looking at the differences this year for Mitch Keller, he's added about two ticks on the fastball, still throwing Mm -hmm. the sliders to over 20% of the time. Curveball changeup also being used a little bit more. The results are just slightly better. You'd expect a yeah, bigger, like a bigger payoff on on two ticks with the fastball in particular. So I wonder if a pitch mix change might be the next sort of adjustment that they try to make. But the command when I've watched Keller is still inconsistent. I think that's a, a big part of the problem. Oh yeah, and he really still doesn't have a good weapon for lefties. He's he's his. He does not have a pronounced platoon split, platoon split this year, but if you look at the underlying data, though, he's not missing anywhere near as many bats against lefties, higher walk rate. It's just like a lower BABIP that is like in, in platoon splits in a single half of a season, a third of a season. That's just not that meaningful. But I, you know, that to me is one. I think his fastball has always been a little true, and I think he's needed that a better third pitch for lefties. Honestly, sometimes for righties, just so they're not trying to cheat and get to the fastball. If I see this, they see this, right? I'm not, I'm not pointing out anything that the pirates can't figure out themselves. So where's the, what is the plan? Where are the adjustments we should be seeing? If he's not able to make those adjustments in the majors, going back to our conversation about Kevin Smith and Jared Kellenick and the other player you brought up, who of course completely slipped my mind. Jaron Duran, yeah. Three hours ago. Jaron Duran. Thank you. Jaron Duran. That's why I keep you here. You know, do you send Mitch Keller down to say reset? We're sending you to the minors because we want you to work on these two things specifically. And if you can't do it in the majors, fine. You got to go somewhere where you can. It's It, it does shock me because I loved Keller as a prospect, but fully recognized what his flaws were. And the fact that he's just gotten 0% better in those regards makes me look a little stabby, right? Like I'm just, what, what, how, how? Did this not this guy not turn out to be better? He didn't get hurt, right? Forrest Whitley was ranked. We all had him in our top 10, of course. Absolutely, we had him. But he got hurt multiple times. I get Okay, fine. That, that happens. But in the case of Mitch Keller, he's still healthy. He's just not gotten any better at all. What happened? Were we all wrong? It's entirely possible. I'm wrong a lot on players. I would like to think there's something more there and that his step forward is still coming. Last question about the Pirates, and it connects mm-hmm. back to Cedric Mullins a little bit. If you're a team in need of a center fielder, the Phillies are among the teams that are contending that would certainly be looking for an upgrade there. The Brewers could be among those teams as well. Brian Reynolds versus Cedric Mullins. Who would you rather trade for? The years of club control are actually equal. They're both under club control for the same period of time. They're similar in age, and the war last year was even the same at six, which is just remarkable to me that they were that similar. So who do you prefer if you're going out to get that upgrade? Reynolds. I feel much more confident in the uh, consistency of the hit and power tools. Who do you take? I think it's Reynolds for me, too, because he's done it in the big leagues for a longer period of time. Right. He had that breakthrough season in 2019 proved last year that that wasn't a fluke. And even after a slow start this year is kind of pushing the overall numbers back in that direction. So I think your your ceiling might be higher with Mullins, but your your immediate floor for offensive production clearly to me is safer with Brian Reynolds at this point. So slight preference for him. But if Cedric Mullins is your fallback plan because uh, someone else swooped in and made the better offer for Reynolds, I think you're going to be okay. Yep. I totally agree. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. New set of rankings for the MLB draft that you have up on the athletic. And it got me thinking about Brock Jones, the outfielder at Stanford who played college football for a few years at Stanford and maybe a first round pick coming up next month. I'm curious how you balance the, the risk and reward in players that stuck with another sport longer than most players do, right? Especially when you're talking about someone who might go as early as Brock Jones is going to go. And the reason I think it's a, an interesting question, at least, is that to me, it seems like it changes the development timeline quite a bit. You didn't put all of your time into focusing on baseball. Therefore, there are some things you might pick up a little bit later just because you're now solely focused on baseball. And how do you balance that out when you're talking about a player who's going to take possibly a first round pick to become part of your organization. I look at them as having more potential upside and maybe being a little bit younger in baseball terms and not younger, but recognizing that they have less experience. Guys like this, especially guys who play football tend not to do, they don't do fall ball. They don't play over the summer. On the one hand, that's lost developmental time. That's not good. On the other hand, it does point to somebody who could maybe make bigger quicker strides once he is 100% concentrating on baseball and playing year round. And I mean, that's why look in a, in a regular draft class, Jones, I don't rank, rank Jones so aggressively because he still swings and misses too much, but he, he improved substantially, especially once they got in a conference play for Stanford. And I do like seeing that when guys are better once conference play starts and they're facing more consistent, better quality pitching every weekend, that counts. And he's got a lot of tools. There's a lot of upside there. He's benefiting a little bit from the fact that it's a poor draft class, but also I bumped him up a little bit because I said, hey, maybe this guy, once he's playing, com- you know, completely committed to baseball year round, there might be faster development coming. But there's risk too, that it's just, hey, we you never get those at-bats back, right? Those summers that you could have been playing, those falls, whatever 
just the benefits you get from focusing year round once you're, especially once you're 18 and older, you never get that time back. Maybe, maybe that works against him. I don't know. It's He's risky. He's extremely interesting to me. And I do think, especially after the way he finished his spring, he does go in the first round. Yeah, I mean, you wrote him up as having 25 homer, 25 steel speed upside if it all comes together. It's a really tantalizing player if you can find a way to get that strikeout rate down. Uh, as far as the rankings go, any big movers uh, for you since the last publication of the list? Yeah, a couple of guys, Max Wagner of Clemson and uh, Jacob Melton of Oregon State were not on my top 100 six weeks ago, and they're on it now pretty comfortably in the in sort of spinning distance of the first round. I think both guys probably end up going in the first round. Tremendous performers. Wagner did, had a swing change, really produced in the ACC. Melton, uh, very interesting tools package, and again, pretty good production in a major, major conference too. And also just in general that – I am hearing more teams now looking back, giving second, third looks or consideration to college position players, looking at the draft and saying the pitching stinks because they're hurt. They're just so many of them are hurt. Um, and, you know, teams especially don't want to take a high school pitcher in the first round are saying, okay, we take a high school hitter, but a lot of them are going to be expensive. And, you know, the best ones, of course, are off the board early. And if the college pitcher we like isn't there or we don't think it's good value for the pick, who's the best college position player? And I think once again, like happens every year, teams are just flocking to the college players for the safety with that first round pick. And since there aren't pitchers, they're running a bunch of these college position players up the board, not without justification. And even guys who I don't have ranked in the top 50, the Dylan Beavers and the um, uh Spencer Jones from Vanderbilt, they could go in the first round or the sandwich round. I don't think they should go there, but they could go up there as teams are looking for what they perceive as the greater safety and predictability of the college hitter. The sandwich round always makes me hungry, by the way, every time. Yes, it is lunchtime here, at least. I'm going to eat. Breakfast time for me, but uh, I will put a link to the, the new rankings up in the show description. So if you're looking for that story can't find it on The Athletic for some reason, it'll be right there in the show description for you. If you want to read that story and many others that we have on the site right now, theathletic.com slash baseball show. $1 a month gets you in the door for the first six months. It is the best deal around. Get it while you can. We need to go. You can give Keith a follow on Twitter at Keith Law. You can give me a follow at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. We're back with you on Monday. Have a great weekend.